He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Breaking news, WABC. And we're just moments away from General Petraeus. He will have the latest breaking news out of Ukraine. And first, we have other guests we want to introduce here in the studio. Uh, in the studio with us is Judge Richard Weinberg. We have uh, Common Sense Democrat, Common Sense Republicans, Tony Carbonetti, former Chief of Staff of Rudy Giuliani, and Craig Eaton, uh, Chairman for 10 years of uh, the Brooklyn GOP. I understand General Petraeus is on the line. Correct. Uh, General Petraeus, how are you, sir? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. I mean, General, nobody seems to know what's really going on. Uh, and uh, we figured who else to go to but uh, to you. Uh, and you must have uh, some calls coming in from all over the place. Uh, give the American people an update of what you think uh, is going on. Well, if you're talking about Ukraine, what's going on is the Russians tried the blitz to try to get immediately to cities uh, to topple them, particularly Kiev, the capital, so that they could replace President Zelensky with someone who would be pro-Russian. That obviously didn't work. Uh, They showed that they were not as impressive as perhaps we thought they might be at air-ground integration, combined arms, infantry, armor, field artillery, engineers, and so forth. Uh, And also we found that the Ukrainian armed forces uh, had enormous determination, uh, sheer uh, grit, uh, considerable skill. And, of course, they're backed up by a population, virtually all of whom hate the Russians and many of whom are willing to take up arms against them. They're also fighting on their home field, if you will. They know the the local areas, they know the people, uh, and they're fighting for their homeland. Uh, So Putin did not achieve quickly uh, what perhaps he and his generals thought they might achieve. They got bogged down. They're also shown to have not particularly impressive logistics support, Uh, plus, of course, all of their logistics lines, the lines of communication behind them are insecure because the people oppose what the Russians want to do. So they're in a tough spot, Uh, and then what they did is bring in additional firepower, uh, also use some from uh, in Russia that can reach all the way into Ukraine. Uh, They have traditionally been an indirect fire-based army, a lot of artillery, a lot of rockets, uh, missiles, and bombs. And what we see them doing now is beginning essentially to blast away Uh, Putin in the past, when Grozny was difficult to take in Chechnya, they essentially, eventually, did both. They depopulated and they largely destroyed it. Uh, the same in Aleppo, uh, when Russian air power was used there to prop up Bashar al-Assad uh, in Syria, uh, and again, essentially depopulated and largely destroyed it. Uh, and we see that beginning. Uh, we see Kharkiv, for example, one of the largest cities, uh, been in the square where the beautiful government building was destroyed, uh, along with eight or ten civilians in it. Uh, we see them starting to go after infrastructure in Kiev. And keep in mind, Kiev's a, a city of nearly three million people. It's very spread out. 
a lot of urban area. Urban fighting is exceedingly difficult, especially, again, if everybody who's left there uh, really wants to do you in. So they've got a tough road ahead of them. But, again, I think they're frustrated, uh, and they're going to exhibit that frustration, again, by just pummeling these areas. They're literally going to try to turn out the lights in Kiev. They're going to try to turn off the telecommunications, um, get President Zelensky off the air, shut down the Internet, social media, uh, and doing the other infrastructure that is still functioning. At some point, they may literally uh, invest, lay siege to Kiev uh, after trying to scare as many of the civilians out of the city as they can and then starve the rest. Again, this is getting very, very ugly. I mean, um, it's, and, it's crazy what's going on. Any chance that Putin could say, guys, let's call it a, a day? Well, it's difficult to see that. Again, he has stated clearly what his aims are, uh, and they are to ensure that Ukraine is never in NATO, never in the EU. And frankly, he also feared all along that, there would be an example on in his next door neighbor of what right looks like uh, of a vibrant, prosperous democracy. And that is a huge challenge to him as well. So he wants to dominate uh, Ukraine. Uh, he sees it as part of Russia historically. We heard this in that somewhat bizarre speech that he gave very lengthy sitting on one side of an enormous area and all of his people on the other side. Uh, and he is determined, I think, to carry on. Uh, now, yes, we should be seeking an off-ramp somehow. We should be seeking a messenger who could take a message to him. I've suggested that perhaps Chancellor Merkel of, of Germany, the former chancellor, who had a good relationship with him, albeit a firm one, uh, who grew up in East Germany, a place where he served, of course, in the KGB, uh, speaks Russian and so forth, that could be the right person. The problem is the message, because the respective red lines of the Russians on the one hand and then Ukraine and also NATO countries on the other hand, these are mutually exclusive. Well, General, it's, it's so Tony they, Carbonetti. Uh, th that, that message, isn't it as simple as uh, Iraq and Kuwait in 1990? You, you don't have the right to invade a neighboring country. And shouldn't the world get together at that point and say, get out, or we're going to come make you get out? And General Petraeus, it appears that even the Russians aren't backing Putin because some of the Russian soldiers who invaded Ukraine are so unhappy with their mission that they've started sabotaging their own vehicles and are surrendering in droves. This according to the Pentagon. And apparently all a lot of the soldiers weren't even fully trained or prepared or aware that they were going to be sent into a combat operation. This is according to a senior Defense Department official telling reporters this. So, Well, there are some instances of that. Um, I wouldn't expect to see the entire force uh, resort to that. There is history here, you know, and let's not forget the way the communists came to power in 1917 um, was obviously the overthrow of the Romanovs, essentially, when the army just really refused to continue to support that regime. So, there is some history here. You can look at 1905 with the Russo-Japanese War as another example of that. Um, but, Tony, I mean, what you've said, it seems appealing until you realize that 
unlike Saddam Hussein, uh, Russia has nuclear weapons, uh, and they reach to the United States. It's actually the largest nuclear arsenal uh, in the world. Uh, we certainly have one very, very comparable and perhaps even more modern and, and better in some respects. Uh, but with nuclear weapons, as you know, it doesn't take many. Um, they don't really want to the, die. But, but again, to go nuclear, his army sitting there saying, we're not going to get nuked unless we strike first. We're not going to attack. We're not going to use nuclear weapons against them unless they use them first. Correct. Well, again, it's not his army that gets to choose whether they use nuclear weapons, Tony. It's Putin himself. He has the finger on the nuclear trigger. He rattled the saber, the nuclear saber, the other day, made allusions to it. I, generally, I tend to agree that it is insanity to reach for that trigger because, of course, you're going to receive back at least as much as you gave. That said, uh, there are scenarios where someone in his state of mind, which doesn't seem to be completely I agree. where everyone else is, um, and so you're not going to risk. And, and so are you saying that you should put U.S. troops uh, into and NATO troops to force them out? You want to see a direct confrontation no, with Russia? No, I don't think the, the, the not, American well, people the are moving. I, I think we have to. I, I that's think the only option you got to push back. You, well, okay. Fine. How? We have pushed back. We have done levied the most extraordinary sanctions, literally, that the world has ever seen. They are very painful. The ruble's down. They can't even open up their stock exchange. Their financial system is already feeling the pain. They'll feel a lot more of that over time. Um, you know, I think there's some other things they might ought to do, like padlocking the doors in Kensington and Mayfair in London, of the townhouses and the oligarchs. I'm you know, for maybe, all of that and cyber attack the hell out of that. Well, now, you know, again, these are all appealing things when you sort of throw them out. But in the real world, if you cyber attack the hell out of them, they will cyber attack the hell out of us. And we are actually probably more vulnerable. You know, that old saying about don't throw glass or stones if you live in a glass house. And we live in a glass house when it comes to cyberspace. So, again, these are. General, it sounds great to say we got to do something. We are do so, doing something. We have provided substantial amounts of uh, weapons, uh, various military uh, hardware systems, supplies, et cetera. More is being provided, surprisingly, including even Germany, uh, which is very impressive uh, because, of course, initially they hesitated. They, they gave them Kevlar helmets. Uh, now they're providing lethal supplies. Germany is also going to go to 2% of GDP on spending immediately rather than the very slow glide path that seemed uh, glacial in its progress. They're spending an extra $110 million on defense as a one-time supplemental. I mean, this is massive from Germany. And, of course, they shut down Nord Stream 2. So there's a lot being done, a huge amount being done. What would but you recommend? What you're that suggesting is the kind of stuff that actually gets you into World War Three, or don't or want to go there. Into a direct I, conflict with 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 Russia. Nobody wants to go into no World War Three. Uh, General, if you were uh, sitting in the Oval Office advising the president, what would you say to him today? Uh, to be fair, in this case, and and you will remember that I was very critical. Please, for your your other guest there, I am totally nonpartisan, nonpolitical. I'm I was very that. critical of the, of the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan, the lack of adequate consultation with our allies on that decision, and then the execution of that decision. In this case, I actually think that they have done 
quite an impressive job. There's some places along the way that we might have done better, have the entire list of sanctions ready so that when certain trigger is, 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 is crossed or reached that you go to those. The problem with that was that many of these sanctions aren't just the province of the U.S. They require the U.S. to persuade our, let's say, EU allies when it comes to the SWIFT financial uh, transaction system, which is a huge blow as well that we have uh, taken uh, to cut off some of the Russian financial institutions from that. So there's a, an enormous amount that has been done. They've also done a very good job, I think, of taking what clearly is final, finished intelligence products and laundering it into public information without exposing sources and methods. Um, they have galvanized the, the, the NATO, the EU. Of course, really, it's Putin's actions that have done that. I was at the Munich Security Conference. I've not heard unity like that. This is a week and a half ago. I'd not heard unity at a Munich security conference like we heard that time uh, all the way back to when I was a uh, speechwriter for the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe. Uh, so there's an enormous amount being done. There is also, however, a degree of what I think is, is proper and prudent caution about not getting into a direct confrontation with Russian forces, such as a no-fly zone over Ukraine or even something that seems somewhat innocuous to secure a humanitarian corridor well into Ukraine or something like that. We don't want and, to, we don't, I understand right, that. We don't want to put yeah. them in a position where, uh, yep. uh, where we're, we're backing them up into the corner. I have a question for General yep. Patrice. So again, they're actually doing, I think, to be fair, quite well. Now, there's more that can be done uh, in terms of, you know, we should have a defense supplemental ourselves. We're also going to have to overhaul our defense spending because we're now going to have to plan on, in a sense, for a two-front possibility rather than just focus completely uh, on the Indo-Pacific. And as I said earlier, I think the big intellectual challenge right now is to figure out what message someone like Chancellor Merkel, uh, if you could persuade her to take this on, could take to Vladimir Putin to try to convince him that it's time to declare a ceasefire, uh, start negotiating, and ideally withdraw his forces. Again, this is not going to have a happy ending for Russian forces or Putin, probably, no matter how it plays out. And the more damage and destruction uh, that he does to Ukrainian cities, obviously, the more he's going to be isolated. But there are just limits to how far the actions can, that can be taken for fear of, again, getting into a direct confrontation. And again, we are making very clear, on the other hand, you touch a NATO country, you have invoked, we invoke Article 5, an attack on one is an attack on all, and that means the three Baltic states, two of which have borders with Russia, uh, and then the other now increasingly frontline Eastern European countries, uh, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and Romania. It doesn't look like China is going to back up Putin. It it does not. They are somewhat ambivalent, if if you will, John. They, of course, had the very famous meeting on the eve of the Olympic opening ceremony, uh, Putin and President Xi. Uh, subsequent to that, however, the foreign minister of China at the Munich Security Conference virtually said that territorial integrity of all states should be uh, honored, and that included Ukraine. And of course, keep in mind that Ukraine's biggest trading partner was China, and China had a lot of 
potential projects there for the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, beyond that, China generally is one of those countries that says stay out of the internal affairs of others. Uh, this clearly uh, is a violation of that. Uh, and again, if the damage and the destruction is truly horrific as it is appearing it's going to be, uh, then clearly uh, China cannot abide that at a certain point in time. Uh, they they did not veto the UN Security Council resolution the other day condemning Russia. The U.S. modified some of the language so that they would not do that. Uh, they abstained. But again, at a point, uh, if this is as horrific as it appears it may be, there's really no country, maybe other than North Korea, that could uh, say that this is acceptable. Well, I think, uh, General, thank you for coming on. I think uh, Putin is backing himself up into a position where he is uh, hurting Russia itself in many, many ways. He's hurting all his friends, all the oligarchs. No question. And yeah, uh, no this, question. this might be a, a problem that Russia itself might have to solve. General Petraeus, I know we well, have to go to a quick break. I just one, one other, John, oh, if I could, sorry. because there is a concern that you act, that he and we back him into a corner from which he has nothing to lose. Right. That is not necessarily a great place to have someone no. who no. is in his state of mind and has his finger we on don't the need him. trigger. So we, we have to be careful of that. That's the we, question we don't, I want to We don't ask. need him to push a button. Are you afraid, right. General Petraeus, President Biden was asked yesterday, should the U.S. be worried about a nuclear war? General Petraeus, are you worried that he could press that button and forever change the world? Um, look, I think you have to recognize that as a possibility, which we do always. Uh, that is always a state of play in the, you know, in the nuclear business and the strategic command. That's what they get paid to do is to be prepared. Um, but perhaps that should have a, a bit more urgency attached to it right now than normally. I, I agree 100 percent. I think we made him look uh, the, the world is making him look dumb and he might have that might be the only yeah, his only recourse, you know. General, it's a day-by-day -day situation. Thank you so much for keeping the American people. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's go directly to... Uh... Professor Dershowitz. Professor Dershowitz, I'm sorry to keep you on hold. We had some breaking news with General Petraeus. No problem. General Petraeus is one of the smartest men in America. Please uh, listen to him very, yes, very and, carefully. And, uh, we're all worried that we're going to back up uh, uh, Putin to, sure. in the corner and he'll do something even... How did I used to say it? Stupid. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I hope not. Uh, but we have to we have to be prepared for that. I think the president has a special obligation tonight to be nonpartisan. He has to make a speech today that speaks to the world, that speaks to Putin, NATO, that brings Americans together. He cannot use this state of the message, state of the uh, uh, union message to promote his party, his candidacy, or his accomplishments over the last year. That would be a terrible waste. This is a Churchillian, Rooseveltian moment, and he has to do it. He has to be, and the Republicans have to cheer him and, and praise him, but he's the one who has to make the first step forward. He has to do nothing partisan, nothing that invites any Republican not to cheer. He has to bring us together if he wants to talk about you know, COVID, that's fine, but talk about COVID in a way that brings us together. But tonight is a night for uniting the world and keeping the world united. I hope he's up to that. 
Well, we, I think we all pray for that. Uh, uh, does anybody have any ideas here in the uh, office? Uh, I, I think he's going to try to avoid uh, talking uh, about certain things. I think he's going to try and take some credit for what's going on in, in the world. Uh, sure you know, I mean, I'm hoping. Sure I'm, well, it's I, kind of to what John you know, has been right saying, now, the whole wag the dog thing. Yeah, he might use yeah. it as a kind of diversionary tactic to what the real problems that are facing America right now, which they, I mean, I'm not saying Russia doesn't, Russia and Ukraine. But. They're going to find some small tidbits of, of some good news and they're going to try and blow that out as he's doing such a great job as the world is well, crumbling. Well, he's going to declare the, co- the pandemic's and, over. Yeah. Well, the Ukraine yeah, is really the most important mistake. thing right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Professor Dershowitz. Alan, it's, it's Richard Warnberg. I want to talk to you about the Supreme Court case that was argued, yeah. I believe, yesterday. It's the West yeah, Virginia yeah. case on the right. EPA regulations. Right. What do you What do you think about that? And would you well, please explain to the audience? EPA, yeah, it's not about EPA and it's not about climate control. It's about a big agenda item that conservative judges has been, have been going after now for a decade, and that is do administrative agencies have the power that the administrative agencies like to claim they have, or does the power belong to Congress? I mean, there was no doubt in anybody's mind among the nine justices that Congress has the power to do what the agencies uh, did. The question is, can have they delegated that power to these agencies, or have the agencies taken them to itself? So it's really about democracy. And uh, even though I'm a liberal, I'm generally in favor of making Congress decide, not having bureaucrats, anonymous bureaucrats, make big, big policy decisions that weigh the environment against employment. These are big questions, and they should be done openly by Congress, who have to run every two years, not by administrators who can hide behind anonymity. And it's particularly important now because a great lesson we've learned is we need to be energy independent again. And the administration has to stop this war against American energy independence. And so the real stakes on this decision. Yeah. And 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 these are decisions that Congress ought to make and elected officials ought to make. And, you know, the more you move away from elected officials who appointed bureaucrats, the more you move away from democracy. And so this is all about democracy. And uh, uh, I, I hope the court doesn't politicize the issue and comes to the comes to the right decision. Um, uh, Justice Breyer, who I've you know, known for what almost 60 years, that was his specialty. And he believes in administrative agencies. He taught administrative law. So he'll be on the administrative agency side of this. Um, and probably Justice Kagan will, too, although her views are a little uncertain. Um, but uh, we know where the conservative judges will stand. And I suspect the EPA will lose this one. Well, thank you so much, Professor Alan Dershowitz. We got so many. We have so many great guests coming up. We have uh, also. We are going to have uh, Scott Pruitt. We're going to have a Representative Scott Pruitt and a lot more news. Charlie Gasparino on the markets and John Solomon with some latest breaking news. So we'll be right back. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. And on the line with us right now, we have John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter, justthenews.com. And you also have a great TV show you can watch there as well. John Solomon, what is the latest, hottest breaking news? Well, there's a lot of it. Everybody will be watching President Joe Biden tonight as he gives his first State of the Union address to Congress. Uh, there's some Republicans who won't be watching. They're refusing to go because of the mandatory COVID testing rules. But most of the nation will be watching and listening to what he has to say about 
the pandemic, the Russia crisis, rising inflation, rising crime, to see if they get the answers they're looking for. On the eve of that, or just a few hours before that, we broke a pretty fun story here. We got a hold of a memo that Joe Biden sent to federal workforce leaders saying uh, it's time for everybody to come back to the office. So that is some big news going around Washington. Federal workers have pretty much been on permanent uh, tele, uh, telecommuting for the last two years. But Joe Biden uh, sent this note this morning ahead of his um, speech to tell them that we're returning to normalcy and it's time for you to return to your offices. So that's getting a lot of attention. Then I'll take you to Wisconsin, where the former chief justice of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Mike Gableman, was named six, seven months ago to do an investigation of the Wisconsin 2020 election. And today he let go some bombshell revelations, including that there was some fraud in which nursing home residents had other people vote for them. They didn't know it. They didn't know they were voting. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's been some rulings out there that said there were some illegal uh, election law changes that were made. But the headline that has gotten everybody's attention is the former chief justice of the Wisconsin Supreme Court says there is now enough evidence of irregularities in the Wisconsin 2020 election, almost two years ago now, to warrant the legislature considering uh, uh, decertifying de- Joe Biden's victory there. It would be a symbolic gesture. We're not getting rid of Joe Biden from the White House. But if a state said, you know, we after, after the fact, we looked at this vote, it was so messy, we don't trust it, that would send shockwaves through the nation. So that and, is and John Solomon, someday we will find out who really killed John Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so but it, you know, Solomon, it's a remarkable moment a- in testimony. We had another question. So John and I were talking about this convoy of Russian troops, right? They've been how long outside of Kiev? It's like miles and miles long. What is taking them so long? Does anybody really know what's going on, John? Uh, There's a lot of fog of war, as there always are. There always is more, right? Uh, But I I think the the Russians miscalculated and they're recalibrating. They thought this was going to be a cakewalk, that the Ukrainians would throw up their arms and the comedian who turned president would turn out to be weak. And he turns out to be, you know, Churchill on TV. And uh, and the resistance they have found was so much uh, tougher than they expected. And so... They are, uh, I believe, recalibrating. All the U.S. intelligence officials I'm talking to say they're rethinking the military strategy. There's two ways to go here, right? You can just blitzkrieg Ukraine, but I don't think Putin has the will within his own people to see that happen. Most Russians consider Ukrainians to be their brethren. So he's trying to do surgical strikes and surgical attacks, and the Ukrainians have been very good at uh, almost like the Revolutionary War tag team that uh, George Washington had early on, guerrilla warfare. And it has confounded the Russians. And so, yeah, there's a big column sitting outside Kiev, but Kiev still remains remarkably in Ukraine's control. It seems like there's very, really little uh, credible information coming out at all. Yeah. And, of course, this is a region that's known for misinformation. And while we always blame the Russians for doing it, the Ukrainians are pretty good at doing a propaganda campaign, too. So we're sorting fact from fiction. But the U.S. intelligence people I'm talking to, I've done maybe a dozen interviews today with U.S. intel and other people, say that uh, there's been very fierce fighting, a lot of bombardment, and yet the Ukrainians have control of their top two cities, and the Russians appear to be frustrated a little bit. But, you know, over time, Russia has a much larger force, and the question is, how long can Ukraine hold out? And how many more European countries will come to the rescue of Ukraine and start sending armaments and other supplies? But um, it is a head-scratcher, and... uh, we're all trying to figure it out. I think U.S. Intel believes there'll be a counteroffensive by the Russians in the next 24, 48 hours to see if their new strategy works. I mean, we're seeing some of these videos of, like, uh, regular civilians standing in front of tanks and surrounding them. Yeah. And you wonder, is it true? Is it in the satellite it's images? The same, it's the same video we've seen 
time after time. It's not, it's not different videos. Yeah. Uh, listen, I think there is some propaganda going on because that's what the Ukrainians want to do. They want to win the battle in the court of public opinion, no matter how it goes on the battlefield. And so you have to keep that in mind. The Ukrainians have always been good at that. But I think at the end of the day, there is some real fighting. There's some fierceity. We've seen it. Uh, and I think the Russians, there was a set of peace talks yesterday, and they agreed to keep talking. Uh, I think the Russians will let that card play out another 12, 24 hours. If there isn't the sort of deal they can get, they're going to try a second offensive and see if their new aligned strategy works. But um, it is very perplexing, and, and there is a lot of fog of war. There's a little bit of modern-day propaganda going on as well. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon. Again, justthenews.com. John Solomon, justthenews.com. Check it out for all the latest, greatest breaking news there. Thank you so much, John Solomon. And, uh, uh, you know, keep finding out the truth. We will. We love your show uh, there, John and Lydia. Such a great show. Thank you. And speaking of finding out the truth, no one does it better than the NYPD, the greatest force in the world, I want to say. And on the line with us right now is the NYPD chief of detectives, James Essig. And Detective Chief, you did such an incredible job finding that individual, that man that uh, brutally bashed that woman in the head in Queens. How did you guys do it so quickly? Hey, thanks for having me. Good afternoon, everybody. And, uh, you know, you thanked me, but I couldn't be prouder of the New York City detectives, particularly from our transit squad, uh, 108th Precinct Detective Squad on our Queens North Homicide Squads, who... uh, really brought this horrible, uh, shocking incident to a conclusion really quick. Uh, you know, anybody who watched that video of that subway, was uh, it was really sickening to watch. But, uh, you know, so I'll just walk you through it if I can, just Please. real quick uh, what, what we did there. So this happens last Thursday, you know, so we have an innocent, totally innocent woman walking home from work after a hard day's work. Uh, everybody's seen the video where she goes to uh, down the stairs to the subway system on Queens uh, Plaza stairwell. Uh, a male follows her. He has a cane. He's wearing dark clothing, blue jeans. He tries to grab her bag from her, and then he tries to kick her. She falls down the stairs, and then uh, he takes out a hammer, uh, what it appeared to be a hammer, and hits her repeatedly, oh repeatedly upon the head. A really gruesome attack. Um, our, our police officers respond really quick. She's taken to Cornell Hospital, fractures, the skull fractures to the head, internal bleeding and lacerations in really serious condition. Uh, you know, so then our investigation begins. We have to take this guy off the street as quickly as possible. So, I mean, the detectives using good old fashioned detective skills and, you know, modern technology, video tracking property. Uh, the victim's uh, credit card was taken. We knew that from her bag. We were able to track the usage to a nearby store. As we go into the store, we were then able to identify the person who had those credit cards. Uh, you know, good old-fashioned interviews by the detective. We get a name, a lead. Uh, we also follow our perpetrator, uh, uh, the individual who committed this attack. We follow him about seven or eight blocks over into Astoria near the Queensbridge houses over there. It's a pantry. Uh, again, good old Foshin detective work. Our detectives out there showing pictures, uh, interviewing people. We get information that he has relatives in the area. We're able to talk to those relatives. We get into the house 
and we recover the victim's purse, the cane, and the hammer that was used in this incident. So now we have a we have an ID on our, our perpetrator. We give it to our warrant squad, and they pick him up in Lower Manhattan at a, at a shelter which he was residing in. So we wrap this up really pretty quick, and it, it and it uh, just a true credit to all involved, particularly the detectives who did this case. That's two in a row. You got the you got that guy from uh, the the Burger King on 116th Street. That was a great yeah. result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, you know. Detective, I'm scared to ask. I'm, I'm scared to ask you. I hope these guys are in jail. Well, he's still in. He's uh, charged with attempted murder, robbery, first degree, and assault, first degree, which are serious offenses. And he's still in. Chief, how what, many priors did yeah, he have? Say, what does his rap sheet look like? Uh, in New York City, he from 1983 to 93, he had four arrests: burglary, robbery, possessions, uh, but. Uh, he was from South Carolina. He had uh, another four arrests from South Carolina from uh, 2000 to 2019. Again, burglary, robberies, kidnappings. But nothing <laughs> so that he just really came back? would jump off the page that would, you know, show this level of violence, you know. He just recently came back to New York City then? It looks like it. He took an arrest in South Carolina in 2019. That's the last arrest mm-hmm. we have. In New York, it was 1993. Chief Essig, there was another disturbing video, a subway attack in the Wakefield uh, station in the Bronx uh, where a woman was attacked with feces. The guy's been arrested. He had dozens upon dozens of arrests on his record. He was he's he was arraigned earlier today. Do we know is he still behind bars? Because that's the frustrating part for so many New Yorkers. A lot of these guys have these long rap sheets. They're violent. And we just want to be safe. We want to be able to walk down the street and be able to take the subway. This lady was just sitting there minding her own business when this guy walks up to her and smashes a bag of feces on her. Yeah, we see that more and more. People with long arrest histories, a lot with mental histories out there, and they uh, continuously do the crimes. Uh, my detectives, we are out there. We make the arrest. We bring them before the judge. And... Uh, you know, unfortunately, in many instances, they they return right to the street. Uh, it's a, that, you know, uh, we've put our foot down here at WABC, and, and we are telling the politicians, New Yorkers are as mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. And, and uh, we got to cha- change that bail uh, law uh, this November. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, right now, our politicians in Albany – uh, they they fear the woke culture more than they fear uh, uh, the common sense people. Okay, and detective, it's uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Nice to talk to you again. I want you to know I talk to my former colleagues all the time in criminal court and Supreme Court, and they are tired of it too. And they want to back back up law enforcement and public safety, and they're hamstrung by this ridiculous law that came out of the state legislature. We need to change. That law because the judges want to support public safety. Because right now judges can't consider prior bad acts, correct? Yeah. You know, it has to be you want to you want to nail them on a, on dangerousness. We're the only state in the entire country that you, a judge cannot hold someone in based on dangerousness alone. Okay? You know, it's the perfect storm because you also have the prosecutors frustrated because they have to disclose all the discovery within ten days. It's open open file discovery, which is another problem. Absolutely. Well, thank you well, so much. Well, the NYPD always gets their man. 
Oh, yeah. woman. They, great they job. do. They do a great fantastic job. job. job and chief. we just need to keep backing them up and supporting them. They have a great new chief of police, Keyshawn Sewell. So yeah. we, you know, and Mayor Adams, they can bring this city back. Thank you. Right. So, thank you so much. Thank and, you so much. Thank you for all your support. Take thank care. you. Have and, a great uh, night. We, we lost, uh, I understand, uh, Chief uh, Joe Esposito lost his wife, and uh, we're very sad about that tonight. Right. I just saw that, Chris, yeah. his wife, Chris. Oh, our, our prayers, are with, the prayers Espo- are with him. with the Esposito yeah. family. Great people. Yes. Well, you know what, Chief? We have the back. Here at ABC, John has the back of all of NYPD and all of law enforcement. So, well, Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Now, when we come back, we're going to have Scott Pruitt, and we're going to talk about the war on American energy. This is uh, John Katsimatidis, 77 WABC, and uh, uh, we got two common sense uh, GOPers uh, in the studio with us. Uh, and today was the Republic was it the closing day of the Republican? Today was the uh, closing party? at one o'clock. It ended at one o'clock today, John. Okay, give us uh, Craig Eaton. Uh, you were uh, chairman of the GOP in the Brooklyn for 10 years. Give us a report what happened. Well, it was, it was a great day for New York Republicans. Uh, there was a lot of energy in the room, not as much energy as we have in the studio here every night, but there was a <laughs> lot of energy in the room. We had Governor Pataki spoke yesterday to a standing ovation. Um, Rudy Giuliani was there today. And, and they nominated uh, Paul Rodriguez for controller, Joe Pinion for U.S. Senate, Michael Henry for attorney general yesterday. And today was the, you know, the, the big the big nominations. They We nominated Allison Esposito as lieutenant governor, a former NYPD and deputy his, inspector. And, and sad that she got nominated today and her mom passed away today. Joe Esposito's wife is... Uh, no, no, this, she's not related. She's not related to Joe. I thought they were. No, no, Allison no, is not related she... to Joe Esposito. No, no, huh? no, not at all. I read in the post she was his daughter. No, That's his daughter. A, no, no, uh, she's not Joe Esposito's daughter. Allison. Not yeah, so she, what happened Allison, with, Allison grew up in Orange Lee's County. Allison. But I'll I tell you, she was great. She spoke very fluently and, you know, really uh, grabbed the audience. And then and then we had the nominations for governor. And you, we heard from uh, Lee Zeldin. We heard from Rob Astorino, Andrew Giuliani, and Harry Wilson. They all gave great speeches. But, uh, I mean, Zeldin had, had, was on fire. And, and Andrew he Giuliani. Won, I understand Zeldin won by 87%. By eight, 87%. That's a big dumper. That that is a big number. I mean, all the counties came in and they said, you know, who they were who they were supporting. Some of the counties were split around the state. Now, are but, the other ones are going to continue to run, or what's going to happen? You know, what? It, it's unclear right now. I mean, Andrew Giuliani was also on fire. I mean, he, that that kid can speak as well. He did great, and and he said that he's going to continue. He's going to you know go through uh, get petition signed, and he's going to go through with a primary. So what happens is the way it works is you, if you get twenty five percent. You don't have to get petitions. You're automatically in the primary. If you don't get 25%, you have to circulate petitions. Well, there, there was four people running. Uh, only three people got the balance of the 13%. 13%. So no, none of them got the 25%. So if they want to remain, they have to go and get petitions. And it's a pretty – you have to get a certain number of petition signatures in each – and half of the congressional districts in the state. So it's Tony pretty difficult. Tony Carbonetti, you've been uh, a Republican all your life. Tell us uh, how, what you think. Actually, I was a Democrat for a little while. You know, you know us Italian-Americans become Democrats, then we get smarter. Absolutely. We become when Republicans. You come, when you come off the boat. Exactly. Um, I, I think Andrew Giuliani has the playbook. And I, I think if you go back to 93, 94, the last time the city was being ravaged by crime, in 1993, we well, elected his, his father, Rudy, uh, taught him well how Andrew to keep has the city playbook. safe. Yeah. And, and 
That's what we need right now, and I think the country's moving that direction. But Lee Zeldin is very good too. He's a very I, I he's very smart guy. Lee Zeldin can have the playbook. Um, I think we need to very whoever we guy. nominate needs to run on that platform of I'm going to take the the state back in the right direction. Judge, any comments? Mm-hmm. My comment is is the House Democrat. It seems to me this election is about running against the Democratic Party and what they've done in the city and the state. Yeah, Lee Zeldin may not be as dramatic. As maybe some other candidates, but he is common sense. He's uh, just a, I, I, he's somebody I, I believe in and I, I trust, and I think he would do a fantastic job, he, especially against Hochul. He's an army veteran. Absolutely, he's a state senator. He's, he's got a two beautiful daughters. He's I met his wife. Beautiful wife, beautiful daughters. I mean, he he is a great candidate too, and and he did great today. I mean, Lee really did well. Well, I understand we're getting uh, Charlie Gasparino on from uh, Fox uh, News. And the stock market was down six, seven hundred points again. And then oil closed. And oil, oil went up to a hundred and five, hundred and six. So what does that mean, John, for us? What that means? We're in deep doo doo. Uh, I don't know what Joe Biden. Is that Biden, a scientific I don't term know, there? I don't know what Joe Biden is going to say on tonight's. Uh, Can't talk about his reunion. Can't talk about uh, his record. But uh, if if uh, oil stayed at a hundred and five, uh, I think you're going to be paying. Uh, six and a half, seven dollars for uh, gas. So, who thinks that Biden is going to blame the oil prices and the high prices on this whole Ukraine Russia war? Who thinks that? Because I can guarantee you, it's not his war on energy, his policies. That's what he's going to do. I can guarantee you, he's going to blame them. Professor Dershowitz said it right. This is a great opportunity for Biden to turn the page, never going to move forward and to unify the country. If he plays a blame game. He's going to lose that opportunity and he won't be able to resurrect. No, he's going to tell Americans we have to pay for the democracy for Ukraine and we're going to have to dig down a little deeper for the greater good, which is all BS. Do we have Gasparino on the line right now? So we go to break then and come back? Let's go to break and we'll come back. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show on the line with us right now is Charlie Gasparino. We were just watching you on TV a short time ago. You got more gray. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tough times. Why don't you just remind everybody I turned 60 last month? I don't, you don't look a day over 58. 60 is the new 40. That's what I'm hearing because I turned 60 last year. Charlie, what the heck is going on in Wall Street? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, do these, are these just traders or do they know what they're doing? Well, some of it is algorithms, right? And they're selling stocks based on headlines and things of that nature. Uh, So it's not like a human trader. Some of it is traders and investors repositioning. I mean, John, this is a crazy situation. If you were to tell me that, you know, Absent inflation, right? Take that out. Just let's just say we didn't have an inflation problem, right? And Jerome Powell wasn't poised to raise interest rates, and we had global unrest of this of this type. Um, usually, it's short lived, right? I mean, the markets generally reflect um, asset values and and uh, and, uh, and earnings potential of companies. And uh, you know, even if a significant war in, in Europe, if uh, you know, dollars to donuts, the, 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 di- the indigestion dies down after a month uh, because S&P earnings are slated to be, you know, not bad in the next year. Okay. But we don't really have that. We have that on top of a rising interest rate environment, which, you know, the Fed is saying it's going to raise rates 25 basis points, but who knows how, how much they're going to have to raise in the end because it's... Well, uh, I don't think yeah. it's any longer 50. It's probably 25 now. Right. Maybe. But suppose you get a really bad CPI print. Okay, that's not, and then, you know, sometimes the markets um, 
sometimes the markets, you know, you know, over over, you know, basically push the Fed aside and say, okay, we're going to sell the bond, we're going to sell the ten-year, and therefore you get higher interest rates on the ten-year, and you get uh, you get you get a yield curve inversion. So just remember that that's uh, that that could happen. Charlie, it's Tony Carbonetti. I saw you speaking before about cybersecurity and our banks uh, probably getting hit a little more today from some Russian hackers. But I'd like to believe our banks, I know they spend hundreds of millions of dollars playing defense. Don't we? I mean, billions. 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 I'd imagine the Russian banks are more susceptible to our hackers than we are to theirs. I would hope. Yeah, but, uh, you know, are we hacking them? I mean, no one really knows. Uh, I, I will say this. I, I, I'm going to have a full story about this in the New York Post tomorrow, and it could be online, you know, momentarily. Um, and I did some reporting about this on Fox Business. It, there's no doubt that the Russians have ramped up their attacks recently on the U.S. banks. Expected. Nothing has gotten through. Yeah, expected, and nothing has gotten through uh, yet. Uh, and it's, you know, it's usually it's the same cohort of thugs that, you know, answer nominally to, to the Kremlin. So they, they know that's coming, uh, and, it, and it is coming. It is here right now. Uh, the real question is, uh, do we have the infrastructure to withstand it? I think the banks do because they spend so much. Mm-hmm. But do other industries have the, have the wherewithal? Does, you know, there's a water supply. I mean, last year, as you know, they got through and, and we cut off the, key, the uh, Colonial Pipeline and JBS, the big uh, meat, meat distributor, uh, the biggest meat distributor in the country. Uh, so they've had a, they've had success going after our companies. There's no doubt. Not the banks just yet, but you know the banks are ever vigilant, and you never say never, right? Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, are we engaging in cyber warfare with them? And uh, you know, banks, people at the big banks say they don't know, and uh, they think so. <laughs> they think the CIA is doing something, but they don't know. And uh, you know, we could theoretically, if they could shut that, shut us down, couldn't we shut their electrical grid down? I mean, that's possible. You want to go there. I would hope we could. I wouldn't, we you know, could. we don't know. You've got you to be careful with this stuff. They, they, they probably have an electric grid that, that, that's Back still in on, the 1950s. From the 1950s. Someone's got to talk to Switch. It really, like, is, it really is a basket case of a country to be to be doing, you could be wagging the, 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 the tail. It's like the tail wagging the dog in this sense. It, it really is pathetic. And the reason why they're able to exert this much power is because the Biden administration is unilaterally disarmed from drilling and natural, and natural gas uh, exploration. I mean, we have, we have ceded so much of the market to them that Europe needs them. And, you know, we kind of need them for a little bit. And it's really frightening. Listen, listen I'm not a I'm not a climate skeptic. I, I believe that there is truth to global warming. I think we have to have a transition to a carbon neutral uh, economy. I think that's that's ever, a lot of smart people believe that. You don't have to be Bill Gates to believe that. But think about it. You have to do it smart. You have to it has to be a transition. Nuclear power has to play a role, and it's not so far. Uh, this is the, the dumbest way to go about carbon neutral, and it's really put the national security of the world at risk, including us. Charlie, I, I was wrong. I thought he was running the price of oil up for the money. You know, I, I would sit here saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many I, I was like, he's not really going to invade. He just wants $80 oil, $90 oil. How many permits are on standby here in the U.S. that we could start drilling, drilling, drilling and stop filling Putin's coffers, his war chest? It could be. It's, it, there are a lot. You know, here's the interesting thing. Uh, if we cut them off, Right. Just say we cut them off from Swift. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. None, none of the banks can 
can because uh, they, they've allowed a few banks to transact essentially, uh, um, you know, you know, stuff for oil. And so, so they don't we don't cut them off for oil totally. But if we cut them off totally, the price of oil goes to one hundred fifty dollars a barrel unless we drill. Now, if we don't drill, uh, if we do drill, and it goes down again, but you know, the, the price of oil will go up whether they're making money or not. At this point right now, what's scary about it is at 120 or $100 a barrel of oil, we've, we've essentially put, we put a lot of money in their pockets. Yeah, we're we we're making the American people poorer. And a lot of these Absolutely. European countries have to rethink their energy strategy because you think well, the Germans want to get 40% right from him? Well, no, but we're financing Putin's war. Yeah. We are. Yeah, we but are. meanwhile, it's a, Russia is a mess. And we had General Petraeus on before uh, uh, Charlie. And nobody really knows on the outside world what the heck is going on, except uh, uh, he's scared that if we we put him into the corner, Mm -hmm. that he has that uh, nuclear option. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering, is he that crazy or is he crazy? I think his own generals have to take him out at that point. Yeah, I think crazy. They, They may. I mean, why? You know, Russia could be such a vibrant economy and for a prosperous country. It's just, it's, it's literally, you know, just get rid of him and the oligarchs. And, you know, American businesses would love to do business there. It's an oil-rich, it's a mineral-rich place. Um, you know, the, the people are generally nice. The people, the Russian people. He's undone crazy. everything in the 90s and early 2000s. Well, was yeah, undone. The, the rumor was, and I think it's true, He'd rather be partners with the European community than be partners with uh, China. I think China is telling him to uh, go fly to uh, go fly a kite right now. I think now. the world is telling him they to go are, fly a kite. They, I, I'll tell you, every banking executive I know, I'm talking about CEO level, they are asked, they are talking about China. They are watching everything Xi does. Does Xi does Xi tell him? Apparently, the, the rumor is that Xi is annoyed that you know he promised like you know a victory in three days and. And now his own troops are starting to – I read something in the Post not too long ago, that a couple of hours ago, that his troops are actually giving up without a fight in some cases. And it's really quite quite remarkable. So, um, listen, my guess is the guy, before he does any nuclear weapons, and, you know, I guess Petraeus would be a better source than me, but just common sense-wise, he conventionally flattens. If he really wants it to win, he flattens Kiev. I mean, just to- does a Chechnya on him. And just totally take them. I mean, he's done done that in the past, you know. Yeah. Well, Charlie, uh, so that's a scary thought. We're out of time. I want to thank you for uh, giving all the comments to the American people and letting them know what, time, the, what the pulse is. And, Thanks uh, for having me on your show, John. Always, always good to have you. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, thank you. And uh, uh, Craig Eaton, uh, uh, Tony Carbonetti. Thank Chief, you. don't call me Chief. Thank you. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrani, thank you. And uh, let the world pray for the uh, people in the Ukraine. And let the world pray for, well, we need prayers in New York, too. And, and pray for America. God bless America. Thank you.